Hello and welcome to a very special episode of IMI's Talking Leadership Podcast. This week we're talking about what it takes to lead in some of the world's most difficult environments. I'm joined by Siobhan Walsh, CEO at the charity Go, and Janet Humphreys, Head of Group Services at Go. We also talked with two Go workers, Nebras in Syria and Vincent in Uganda, and we'll be hearing their experiences on the ground throughout the episode. IMI and Go have been partnering this year with 37 Go workers completing IMI leadership development programs in 2018. So, Janet and Siobhan, welcome to IMI. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, so stepping back for a moment, can you just give us a brief overview of what Goal is and what it does? Siobhan, why don't we start with you? So Goal uh, was founded 41 years ago, founded by a very charismatic and passionate man, uh, John O'Shea, yep. uh, known to uh, so many. And it's an organisation that has done extraordinary work in responding to humanitarian crisis uh, over the last 40 years. Mm. It has worked in over 60 countries and today Goal has 2,400 people across 13 uh, countries. The organisation still, since its beginnings, has had in its DNA an emergency response focus and that's still core to Goal today, Um, but also focusing on that space that long after the emergency has Mm. happened, there is an ongoing need in terms of caring uh, food, uh, nutrition, livelihoods, uh, health. Uh, All of those are areas that Goal uh, focuses on uh, quite intently in order to have a kind of a holistic impact on helping to improve lives. And what's the sort of criteria then for you working in a country or region? You're you're in quite a a lot of countries, so what is that specific criteria that says we have to go in there? Is it emergency relief that brings you into somewhere in the first place? So historically it has been uh, the case that yes, in many contexts that Goal has intervened into a country at a time of an emergency. Mm. And I mean, Goal is quite thoughtful in terms of saying what value add can our teams bring? Mm. And you know, the organization has earned a reputation for being responsive, fast on the ground in and assessing with other agencies what Goal can actually work on. Because you know, in today's um, terms, coordination between agencies is really, really important. Mm. And in terms of responding to crisis, you have to look at each one and look at the context and they're all different and they all need different responses. So Goal is one of those agencies that's known to be first in and will actually do an assessment and say here's where we can add value, whether it's food, whether it's water, uh, whether it's shelter, whether it's non-food items, whether it's cash distributions and we'll make that assessment. And normally you'll see that in the history is that Goal has actually stayed and made commitments long after that. In, in Uganda, for example, Goal went in there in 1979 and is, is still there today. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about Uganda because we're going to hear from Vincent. Could you give me a history? Because it's an interesting case study because it's like geopolitical upheavals. Your presence started with the 1979 famine. So how has it transitioned over the decades? So I was, I was very fortunate to, to start my career with Goal in Uganda as financial controller. Um, yeah, I was intrigued by that title, yeah, yeah. roving financial coordinator. <laughs> that, was, that was, yeah. So first of all, I was the, the financial controller, which is basically the, the head of the finance team in, uh, in, in 2006. Mm. Um, and basically, just to kind of step back a bit, as, as Siobhan said, we, we entered in 1979 and was doing a lot of work responding to the famine. And then uh, throughout the 80s, we were doing, 80s and 90s, we were doing a lot of emergency 
planning yeah. uh, emergency response. Lots of internally displaced people from the Lord's Resistance Army insurgents that, that happened in there. Yeah. Combine that with the HIV pandemic and, and, and various uh, other challenges the country faced. We were there and had, a, had, a, had a, a good rationale for being there. Now in 2006, with the, the LRA ousted or, or, or decreasing in size, uh, we moved to more crisis recovery mode. Um, and, and so that that was looking at rebuilding northern Uganda with the you know and, and yeah. with the uh, with the populations. Today we have kind of a combination where we're we're now uh, working with markets more. Um, so we're kind of that trajectory has now moved from the emergency through to the crisis recovery to the market systems approach that we have uh, through some really interesting work uh, with youth um, and markets uh, through through one of our programs. And again, we continue to work on health system strengthening as well there. So working with existing systems, existing government systems, just to strengthen them um, rather than doing that mm. short-term uh, in-and-out approach. Well, let's hear from Uganda itself now, and we will uh, go to Vincent. So, Vincent, um, when did you start working for Goal, and what made you want to work there? Well, I started working for Gold in June 2014. This December, I will be making four years and a half working for Gold. I particularly loved working for Gold because of the, the connection that Gold's work has with vulnerable groups of people, particularly people that are hit by crises and emergencies. And in my case of the world in Uganda, where I work, um, we're also dealing a lot with poverty and disease as some of the other things that we work to support people about. The other thing that I really liked about working with Goal was particularly the way Goal approaches working with vulnerable people, particularly yeah. when they give a lot of meaning to participation where the people who who are vulnerable and not really looked at as people who are unable to contribute in terms of thought, in terms of, you know, ideas on mm. what solutions are best for them to solve problems affecting them. And so Gold does that in a very good way where there is an opportunity to build the strengths of such people to actually come up with noble solutions that could solve problems that exists. So we are not a prescribing organization and I yeah. love a lot about goals work. Yeah. And and what's your job today? You know, what do you do on a daily basis? Describe your, your day to me. I particularly work as the deputy director for uh, an accountability program and uh, it's called Accountability Can Transform Health and uh, it's mainly a governance program that comes from the point of view that we can actually improve the function, the service, the health services in the in the poor communities by particularly enge causing engagements between affected people and yeah. their decision makers at their level, so that they can come up with meaningful ways to solve problems that affect healthcare. And my role in that is particularly planning on training training staff in our team, particularly on how they can engage with vulnerable groups of people in order to prepare them for engagements that they will do with their with their decision makers. These are these are your basic politicians, these are yeah. your basic officials in districts and officials in uh, in, in in higher levels of decision making that 
the community needs to engage with in order for them to respond to some of the challenges and the problems that exist in service delivery. And how many people do you work with? Do you serve? You know, uh, how many people do you work with in the local area in your your division? In uh, in, in my program alone, the Accountability Can Transform Health program, we we cover 19 districts of Uganda, and uh, in the 19 districts, we have reached uh, more than more than 15,000 Ugand- Ugandans directly, yeah. and I could say in the millions in terms of yeah. indirect beneficiaries. Absolutely. What course did you do with the IMI? What program did you do? Oh, I, I, did, I did coaching for business results. How did that program help you in that work that you do day to day? Well, I, before even I look at that, I think one of the things that is so critical for us is that uh, because we are dealing with quite a number of needs and particularly critical needs for communities where services are really struggling and sometimes poverty is biting and a lot, a lot of issues around disease and, you know, people not well, yeah. kind of kind of keeps you running most of the time thinking of uh, uh, thinking a lot about how to keep improving the interventions that we do how to organize more meetings and more dialogues with community and providers and things like that so you literally find yourself finishing a year and another year without really having good time to actually take headspace i, I can actually imagine that yeah yeah to have some headspace and you know kind of think about what could make you better, what could make you, you know, more more effective in what you do. Mm. And so for me, the IMI opportunity helped me a lot, particularly to take a step away from the normal, from the normal routines of my work. And, you know, not just give me an opportunity to reflect, but also give me a skill that I can apply in order to improve or to help my team actually work more efficiently mm. and and do you find yourself doing things differently or thinking about things differently since you finished the, the coaching program when you look at the content in the coaching for business results course a lot a lot of it actually appeals to the way that a person like me who is supervising who who watched over eight eight managers and about 24 field officers in different districts needed a lot. I needed a lot of that in terms of, you know, building, building engagement and trust with the team yeah. that works on a daily basis. And, you know, the, the, the coaching course particularly sharpens the, 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 the sensitivity towards listening, mm. listening more as a manager and you know, taking time to ask very strategic questions to that can help someone to think through and then, you know, taking a lot more initiative to, 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 to discuss things with, with the staff and, you know, going beyond the surface symptoms of a problem, but, you know, peeling it as you would peel mm. an onion and, mm. you know, get to the underlying problems or underlying causes and the, and, and the very root causes of why a, a staff member, for instance, may not be doing 
doing performing as you expect them to have, have your staff um, noticed a difference um, you know when you look around your organization do you, do you see that that impact from the program spreading out uh, one of the one of the things that I particularly had as a very as a very soft belief in me was the fact that I I really believe in people's potential to grow and to yeah. develop their work and so what what I was able to do with the knowledge that I got in business, in coaching for business results was to actually see the practical ways to enhance this very important attribute that I have to make it useful for the stuff that I work with because I knew I believe in people I knew yeah. that I would really love them to grow but when you get the skill set and the mindset for coaching then you begin to see more practical ways of enhancing this kind of this kind of attribute and you know bringing the best out of staff and you know walking them through a journey where they they take ownership for things they are more accountable and they think more of sustainable ways of working walking away from you know blaming and excusing and you know denying things into a place where they are more confident to take responsibility for things what um what else can you tell me about your work there and i'd actually i'd, I'd ask you give me a little bit of background on uganda itself what the, the current situation there is well um we from a ugandan perspective um what i would say is that uh we have a population and 41.5 million wow. as a country uh, we have one of the biggest fertility rates 5.4 so that means on an average every household has about or every mother gives should give birth to about five to six children in their normal life their normal lifespan yeah, and we and is, we is have, that sorry, Vincent? Is that increasing or decreasing now? The the, it, the birth rate. It's been in, it's been decreasing slowly. It was at some point seven, and it came to six, and uh, now it's staggering between the fives. And uh, we hope in the next five years it will go further down. But uh, when you look at our projection for the population by twenty thirty, we will be about sixty million, which is quite wow. big. That's yeah. that's a big shift in a couple of years, isn't it? Exactly, and uh, and considering the fact that seventy eight percent of the population lives in rural areas where poverty exists, where a lot of disease is a problem, and you know that's the place where gold finds itself working most of the time, where they struggle to have clean water, where they struggle to have you know access access to even basic services in terms of healthcare is an is a challenge for them so yeah. those are those are really the background things that i could say yeah that's uh, really interesting um uh, finally just can you tell me any personal stories about your time there sort of any incident or or projects that you've worked on that that have stood out in your mind i i would tell i would tell you one and this particularly the program that we work for the accountability can transform health program um goal particularly introduced a method of work called people-centered advocacy mm. and this approach um is a tweak from the normal ways to do advocacy for the for the 
organizations of civil society in Uganda. This is particularly because uh, we get more of the advocacy campaigns that are intended to influence the way government works, led and organized by civil society organizations. And for over the years, civil society has become a very, a very targeted, a very targeted enemy of the government because they are the ones who speak out on some mm. of the things that government is not doing right. Mm. And so traditionally, goal is not an advocacy organization, but we knew that advocacy was a necessary thing to do in yeah. order to give voice to the people who are affected by problems in healthcare. And so what happened is that Gold decided to go the people-centered advocacy way, where the campaigns for advocacy will be led and owned by people affected by the problem and not necessarily Gold as a civil society organization. And the interesting thing about it is that for most of the time, there was a lot of doubt. There was a lot of fear from mm partner organizations that work locally from Uganda, they mm. particularly didn't think the community, the affected people were smart enough to, to, to push a campaign for themselves. They felt they probably do not have what it takes to push government to do what they require the government to mm. do. And amazingly, in the districts where the campaign happened, we found that you know every issue that the communities picked up to campaign about with government and raise the flags on what is not working and what is required to be done, we saw a high growth in the responsiveness of the government duty bearers. And I mean, in, in some districts, we saw absenteeism of health workers, like changing quickly than it has ever changed before. We saw uh -huh. in some places where there were health centers that did not have lighting, in their maternity units, yeah. like lights and electricity put in place in a space of one year. And <laughs> this was this this like was unbelievable in many ways because for a long time those same facilities existed without those lights. We heard there from Vincent about his development as a coach and teaching and developing others. Siobhan, how much of this partnership with IMI is about that sort of letting your leaders developing other leaders within goal. So for me, this is critical. And, you know, as an organization where we're actually trying to build capacity in our countries of operation, and it really is, you know, what goal wants to leave behind and it's to strengthen local communities. It's to make sure that our teams and the organization are having a long-term impact. Mm -hmm. And so, that means ensuring that our teams and our managers and our leaders have that vision and have that kind of broader view than just working on a project, yeah. but actually saying what is the organization trying to achieve and what impact are we going to have and how do we strengthen and build capacity locally for the longer term. Mm. And that's what Goal wants to leave behind, so to speak, and strengthen. It must um, be very easy to become project focused very quickly. Uh, Absolutely. When you, are, when you are dealing with human suffering, when you are dealing with needs of people on a daily basis, you absolutely just people to people, you respond to that and connect. Yeah. And that's why, you know, taking people out of where they are on a day to day basis and actually pulling them back 
and into a bigger picture and saying what is our role in mm. all of this is really, really important. And we have absolutely seen the value of that in the change in mindset, in the, uh, I would say it's almost a regeneration or the passion and perspective mm. that being part of the IMI has given our teams on the ground. I, I mean, it is, you know, it's so, you can put your hands on, so <laughs> tangible. It's fantastic. Um, they get it and it's critical, uh, you know, and to be frank, organizations struggle to invest resources in, in building people and strengthening people because you're always torn between should you be doing more operationally to do more versus doing more investing in your people and building leadership. And uh, talking about complex uh, situations, we're going to hear from Nebras in Syria now. Uh, I'm always uh, uh, curious, how can an organization like Goal make any impact on a conflict that's just so chaotic and complex as a Syrian one? So I think, you know, our approach has been, and especially in the Syria context, has been, it's a complex situation, but we, the need is there. You know, yeah. if you look at the, uh, the program that we have there, where we're, we you know we have over, over 500 staff, Syrian staff working in Idlib province, they are there in their own hometown, most of them are yeah. home areas, wanting to improve the, the lives of their fellow Syrians and, uh, and alleviate the suffering that is there. It is chaotic, mm. um, but the need is there. You know, so we've been working on the basic needs, food, shelter, bread, and, uh, and even some things like, you know, with the, the water system there, the bombing, the uh, infrastructure has, um, has been yeah, has been decimated, decimated right, yeah, and uh, and and so we've been working with the water councils and uh, our engineers have been working there to repair those infrastructures so you can turn on a tap now mm. as you couldn't before. Something so basic mm. as that, so we don't need the water trucking. So it's not as simple as you know, it's not a simple solution. Absolutely, it's one of the most complex. Um, Listen, water is basic until you don't have it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so it's one of the most complex uh, situations we, we we've dealt with. But it's also um, the passion of our staff is is beyond is beyond comprehension. Mm. Um, you see, you know, you talk about Nebras and other staff who we've been fortunate enough to come to, come to the IMI course, and they'll go back. And part of it is is they their fellow uh, Syrian colleagues will want them to be able to express to the wider community, including in the IMI classroom with peers who've never, yeah. you know, even thought about, you know, maybe, you know, stepping the foot inside Syria, what it's like for them. So the message is getting out there. And that's really important for our Syrian staff to, to know that there's these, these people out there, um, you know, communicating and, and, and keeping, I suppose, what can seem a very protracted crisis, keeping it alive in the memories of people. So uh, as, as you see it, what's, um, people like myself always picture war zones as sort of inescapable places. Can you just tell me what the daily life is like in an uh, urban area in Syria? Sure. So um, in the areas that we work in, um, there's you know, village communities and we have, office, we have our, our office, mm. in, uh, two offices in, in the province. And so people are coming to, to work on a daily basis like you and I would, would do with the sunrise and the sunfall. Yeah. Um, and they have their, their homes um, where the, fam the children are sometimes able to access education, sometimes they're not depending on the areas. Um, but again, the, the markets are there in terms of, you know, you do your daily shopping, you go into the bakeries to get your bread. Mm. Um, so, you know, the staple, I suppose, you know, subsistence living is there. In, and, and then there's also agriculture to a degree. Um, is it, is it I, don't, I don't know if, it's, if worse is the right word, but it, what's the urban versus rural divide, I suppose? They are, there are children that are in the urban areas that have gathered 
because there is safety in terms of zones, safety zones, and also um, there is the issue around the role that the aid agencies are playing, which is that there are 600,000 people that are getting bread every day in markets because of gold. 600,000 people every day have access to bread. So there are children who have grown up in this war zone also who know nothing except war, and that is their norm. So you know we have workers in there, and, and gold has lost four of our staff in the last, in the last couple of years uh, through this conflict. But there is that drive that you have to keep as communities have to move on. Mm. As there are aerial bombardments, you move with communities and you keep adapting and you focus on the basics of water and food and shelter for those. But the communities are extraordinarily resilient, absolutely resilient, and will figure out a way to get, as they move, local markets, small businesses moving again. And the role that Goal is playing is trying to support that by the distribution of cash vouchers, by making sure there's food. It is trying to, how do you harness the best of communities mm. and people and build some resilience but the people themselves are extraordinary, and the staff, um, which you, you can't, I mean, gold can't directly go in, it's the Syrian staff. Yeah, of course. That um, what they're doing on a daily basis is just absolutely extraordinary. And the, the toll it takes on them emotionally, in terms of what they're seeing, they are in a war zone on a daily basis. And what we're trying to do is our teams across the border are trying to do everything they can to support them. But let's let's look at a little bit of the logistics of that 600,000 people accessing bread, because that, that's amazing every day. How does that work? You know, where does the bread come from? How do you get it? You know, how does it so, work? So, so bread is a, is a staple of the uh, Syrian, uh, Syrian diet. There was a vast network, and there's a vast network of bakeries. And so what, uh, what Goal has been doing and working, uh, working with partners um, has been supplying the flour. Um, so we will source the flour and the yeast mm. uh, in Turkey, point to point, deliver it over to our warehouses and then onto the bakeries, who then can um, produce flour at a discount, bread at a discounted yeah, price. Yeah, of and so basically, but we're that would keep the economy flowing as well. Absolutely, and that's the important <laughs> element of that with the vouchers, where we're providing vouchers for people to go and spend in the local markets. Mm. Again, it's to keep the local markets going, so that you know, basically, you know, it's not a it's not a one off. It's it's supporting more than just that individual beneficiary. It's supporting the community as well through the network of. It, it seems like a very modern way of of delivering emergency aid. Sure. It, it's, it's, it's one of a number of modalities. Because of people moving, there is still emergency displacement and there are still staff, uh, still um, Syrians moving from different areas. So we do have emergency kits that we would distribute on a, on a, on a, on a basis. But we'll try and have, have people move off that program where we can into the more stable voucher program. And, uh, but it is, it is thoughtful and it has to be, and it is looking at how you optimise... Um, people and what's available to you mm. and how you complement that and how you look at how do we make people more resilient as part of what you're trying to achieve because the reality is this is a, um, a protracted crisis it's ongoing people living in this kind of temporary space mm. yet it's long term and how do you support local economies and markets 
not compete in a, in with a shifting them, emergency in a shifting emergency and that's why you know our teams have to keep they go back to the IMI course in terms of how you problem solve how you think on your feet how you adapt mm. uh, how you coordinate with other agencies how you communicate all of that is critical in terms of your effectiveness and in terms of adding value and working with communities and listening to what their needs are as they as they move again um, let's cut to Nebraska now and, and hear from the ground in Syria from one of uh, Gull's aid workers. Hello. Hello, Nebraska. How are you? How is Syria? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Syria is, uh, is not so bad, but uh, the situation is better, better than the past. Yeah. What is actually the sort of situation on the ground how's everybody feeling is there sort of hope in the air or is it still pretty grim mm, uh, all the people uh, feeling um, there is a fear from the people if they're um, if they're coming battle or coming attack from regime mm. uh, regime forces to Adlib area to Adlib, to Adlib district it is still uh, the fear fairness uh, from the people um, uh, you know uh, the political issues. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, there, there's so yeah. many of them, isn't there? It's it's yeah. hard yeah. to sum it up in a sentence. So yeah, so the, I th- I think uh, from my point of view, the people here, the weak, um, the uh, weaknesses uh, uh, ring <laughs> in yeah. all the parties. Yeah. So Nebraska, um, when did you start working for Goal, and what made you want to work there? Yeah, yeah. You, I started working with, with Goal in December uh, 2013, where I worked in, in many positions in, with Goal. I started as a data entry team member, yeah, for three months. After that, I applied for a finance officer, and I stayed uh, in this position uh, for uh, seven months. Then I became internal auditor mm-hmm. for about one year. After that, I became field systems coordinator for three years. And since um, 1st of August 2018, I promoted uh, to area coordinator in Adlib. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, um, this is my, my, it is my career in, 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 uh, in goal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I saw you worked for the bank beforehand um, up until yeah. 2013. Was it the war that sort of prompted you out of the bank and, and into goal? Yes. I, yeah, I, I uh, started uh, working with the private sector, graduated at the university. Mm-hmm. So I started uh, working with a credit bank in Adlib yeah, about yeah, um, four, four or five years. So after that, I, um, yeah, let let me uh, let me tell tell us at uh, at yeah. starting the crisis in Syria in March uh, 2011, I lost my study uh, study as a PhD in finance oh, management. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I cannot complete uh, my study in, in in Damascus city, and I lost my my job in in credit bank as well. You know, the, the, there were uh, shelling, bombing, and killing started in in all Syria. In yeah. 2013, yeah. Um, sorry, in uh, in 2011, in 2013, non-government organizations started uh, responding uh, to Syria crisis. So goal uh, was uh, there at uh, that time. 
So I, I, I and my family uh, received um, a food kit, food kit mm. from Goal when we were IDBs in in Salkin City. Ah, okay. Then yes, then I I hoped uh, to be one of the the staffs who support the vulnerable people. Then I visited the Goal website and applied for for a position. I visited the um, um, the office of Goal in in Haren City here in Idlib, yeah. and I started working with them at uh, at, at at that time. So in spite of all risks and challenges <laughs> yeah. we face in Idlib, I still hope to continue with goal in supporting the, the people here. Many people were uh, displayed from all the uh, areas of Syria towards Idlib, about yeah. 4 million people within uh, this small area. Who uh, Goal is the biggest NGO works in, in northern Syria, provides uh, life uh, basics like uh, clean water by the wash program and yeah. uh, good bread uh, from bigger bakery programs and food as well from uh, food security departments and uh, yeah uh, and emergency as well uh, emergency needs for newly displayed uh, people yeah by by emergency program i heard from so many parties or stakeholders here in Idlib, without goal the people will uh, will die of starvations or 30 <laughs> yeah I so imagine, i yeah. yes so I, I i intend to still working with, with goal until last second <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and that was the reason and this might be a bit of a personal question but but obviously a lot of young men from syria have left syria was that the reason you decided to stay? Mm-hmm. Because uh, I think the people who can cross to Turkey from Turkey to Europe or another area, yeah, uh, the people uh, who succeed in cross, they are in, in safe side. But uh, so many families and people uh, couldn't cross uh, to, 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 to Turkey or to another area, so they still uh, live in, in, in Idlib. Yeah. Mm. And what, what do you do? What's your what's your job today? You know, what what do you do on a daily basis with Go? My uh, my current position is area coordinator in Idlib, Syria, since first of uh, August uh, 2018 until now. So I'm responsible uh, who uh, here in in in, uh, in Idlib. I'm responsible uh, for three um, three hundred seventy one staff here in Idlib. Wow. Yeah, and in addition, I am responsible for for maybe fifteen managers here. So so it's a large organization you're running, really, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And, and Irish Irish uh, organization. Mm. So going on to your to your own development mm. with with IMI, first of mm. all, what, what program did you do with IMI, and how has that uh, program helped you in your work? Mm. Yeah, I attended the, the course of frontline management. Actually, I, I need uh, a lot a long time to talk about my fantastic experience <laughs> with uh, IMI. Yeah, but uh, let me summarize a few yeah. things. Yeah, my understanding of the, the management was was changed. The management is not only planning, organizing, dealing, and monitoring. There, there's a people achieve uh, the results with 
and through people. So first of all, I became more careful about select my team. Uh, I worked to to uh, to build uh, their capacity and use yeah. them and keep them happy uh, over time. For example, I, I I came back from IMI to Syria with a new approach to improve the performance generally with the coming um, 100 days. And I think I succeed in, in, in that, in that where, what, and how. Yeah. Uh, this is the, the, the role where we are now and what uh, are we doing and how are we doing this. And planning for, for 100 days sets smart objectives mm-hmm. and establish credibility. Yeah, and I I avoid I avoided my mistakes in the past, like lag in in, in the delegation, uh, yeah. flexibility, and work at home, work for a long time. Yeah, the next uh, point I learned uh, a lot of skills related with uh, time management and problem solving. I learned how to prioritize my tasks in uh, an effective way, uh, depending on urgent, important. Mm-hmm. Metrics, yeah. Uh, third point, maybe let 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 me say about the, the uh, build the, the the trust. Yeah, I depend on the team, uh, the the area management uh, team. Uh, I mentioned uh, to them uh, we have uh, four coordinator uh, here as yeah. a AMT, uh, area management team. So I depend on them in making any decision, uh, problem solving by enhancing uh, the confidence. So all the decisions uh, became stronger, and mm. all and uh, all of the members worked to support uh, the decision we 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 we, we, we uh, yeah we took yeah, and the delegation by focus on the manage, uh, managing not doing, okay. So yeah. I yeah uh, I, uh, I improve my 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 uh, my skills and and save more time for the, for by this technique. It sounds like. If I heard you right, you sort of used to take a lot of control over things, but now you have begun to delegate it out. And mm. even at that act of delegation has improved mm. the decision making around you. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. That's In the past, I, I, I took uh, the decision by myself, by my assistant. Yeah, I can uh, do SWOT for any decision. And I I, I took uh, took it by myself. But now I, I think when uh, when I depend on uh, our team or uh, management team, yeah, uh, our decision uh, became uh, better better than the past. Yeah. Um, mm. Can Can you tell me any personal stories about your time there? Any incidents that's that have been standing out in your mind? Mm. Um, yes. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if I can tell tell you this uh, incident, but uh, before, for example, uh, before July uh, 2018, my day was starting with uh, the uh, with the roar of the air force yeah. uh, war planes, yeah, over my town, where crying f- of the children and women and fearing f- from the men, uh, it is a death f- uh, flying with the, with the air force regime and Russian uh, forces. After any airstrike, one of more from my neighbor, neighbor's family um, and friends will be dead or wounded. 
um, this sense uh, was uh, repeated every day in, in unfortunately in, in my town or um, other Idlib's villages. So I, I still remember my, my cousin and his family, um, his wife and two children. Uh, they were uh, burned under the, the rubble after an airstrike. And I, I can remember our staff in Gaul, we, we lost four staff uh, were killed in, in, in the airstrikes as well. Sorry to mention to that, but um, no, Nebraska, that's, that's the reality yeah. on the ground, and and yeah. sorry to hear of your loss. I, I cannot I, uh, forget them. Yes. Yeah, it, it must be so psychologically difficult to mm -hmm. hear those noises uh, overhead every single day and not know when they're going to stop. Uh, uh, as you mentioned, who uh, I think the situation uh, is better now after July 2018. Mm. But um, nobody know where we are going to. Unfortunately, there is a big country like uh, Russia and Turkey and uh, maybe the United States yeah. Yeah, decide uh, on behalf of the all people here. Mm. Yeah, look, um, yeah. Nebraska, all I can say is it sounds like you're doing amazing work over there. Um, it's yeah. been a, a genuine pleasure to talk to you and uh, look, listen, best of luck with everything in the, in the future. Yeah, uh, thank you. I'm a uh, I'm pleasure to, to meet you and to know you. Uh, who, yeah, I, I hope to, to meet you again. Siobhan, um, you're relatively new in the role, I think this, this year was it? That's correct. Uh, decades of experience, of course. Uh, where do you see the, the future strategy of goal? Where can you guys have the most impact on the world? As I said earlier, you go back to um, Gold's purpose and its history and its mandate. Um, first and foremost is to respond to emergencies and to alleviate human suffering and to help people survive crisis. Mm. That is going to continue to be a cornerstone, a priority for the organization. Now, you know, what Gold would have done in the early days and how it responds to crisis now are different. Mm. And I think that is uh, what will continue to be um, an important part of goal is in it's how we respond to emergencies and how we um, strengthen and maximize local capacities as well in addition to that it is that longer term uh, phase and work and focusing on uh, people's needs around livelihoods it is focusing on health it's focusing on food it's focusing on nutrition they're going to be areas where goal will continue to focus on mm. um, and has a lot of expertise in those areas. Um, so for me, that pathway forward, will that will be our, our value add. So in terms of the IMI and goal partnership specifically, what sort of impact has it had already and will have in the future, do you think? I'll ask about you, uh, Janet, first. Okay. Um, I think... Initially, the excitement. I think uh, you know the applications were, as we mentioned earlier in this in the in the discussion, were, were immense, um, mm. and we didn't expect. When I was sitting in February with the team at IMI, I didn't expect. I hoped, but I didn't expect the 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 uh, attraction that uh, that this this gave the staff. And so basically, it's got them wanting to learn. Yeah. And so for me, the immediate impact is that people are going, right, yes, I do need to learn these skills. What was really interesting is that we, as I mentioned before, we did it in two phases. The first half of the phase, we had um, the support functions, the HR, the people who you kind of think, 
you know, this mm. would be their sweet spot, management training. Second half courses, they'd heard about the great results and the great courses, mostly program staff. So we oh, had program staff apply, which was brilliant because, you know, these type of courses, you know, roll, roll throughout there. So that was really good for me to see. Um, we also had some really good immediate benefits because some, some of our staff worked for us for, for many, many years and, and not even been to headquarters. And mm-hmm. so to bridge that gap, to have staff coming over, not just to the IMI, but also we um, had them present in, in, our, in our headquarters here in Dublin and give uh, sessions to our staff, who many of whom in HQ had not been to their country programme. So again, it really yeah. helped us um, start blending that experience together, which is really, really, really good. Um, in terms of my own personal experience, <laughs> I was fortunate enough to be selected for the, um, the senior uh, executive program, oh, okay. and I found it tremendous. Um, what, what's been fascinating for me is that my problems or my challenges are the same as someone who works in a bank, very similar to someone who works in, a, in, yeah, a, exactly. in another, another sector. And so it's, it's really actually helpful. Mm. You know, the chaotic world that we all are in is not just my world, but it's also their world. Um, so to share those experiences in the SEP has been absolutely, uh, absolutely brilliant. And the, um, the impact, as I say, for me, it's been brilliant at a strategic level because we're just in the middle of developing our strategy. So I feel that I've been able to really help, um, you know, focus through the, the fantastic lectures that we've had uh, during the course. Um, it's helped me kind of pinpoint more about where, what strategy, what good strategy looks like yeah. and, and how to then implement the strategy and, and make sure it, it binds. So, you know, culture, strategy. All those good things. Oh, actually, all the good, all the good words. Absolutely, absolutely. But it's been very, very practical, um, and I think that was my own experience, but also the feedback from our country programs. It's very practical courses. You can take these nuances, and I've had uh, one of my colleagues who was on a course from Malawi say that she's already, you know, started implementing some of the changes in in her uh, in her program in Malawi, which is great to hear. Siobhan, it sounds like sort of a, a deep breath to run faster moment. Um, everyone takes a deep breath so they can run a bit faster. That be an accurate way of putting it. I don't. Since I joined Gold, I have um, <laughs> been my own experience of taking a deep breath is one thing. Running faster, I can definitely identify with. But I, I think that's probably fair to. I think that's probably fair to say. I would also say that I there is a vibe that the being part of the IMI has created in the organisation. It's a really interesting vibe. I mean. I've had to sit in, in rooms where people have actually had to justify who wanted to go on the course. It's been that much. It's got to the point where there's competition for the course. It's always a good because thing. people, you know, it's that wanting to go from the, the good to great. And for me, that has been really important because we have people aspiring to do more and to do it really, really well and to take pride in what they do. And an ownership as well is that, you know, what we do really, really matters. And it's not just about delivering aid of working with communities. It is, it is much bigger than that. Mm. Uh, it's much bigger than goal and what we're doing and how we're doing it. So, you know, for me, I can't, um, I'm hugely, hugely grateful because the contribution in terms of the strength it is bringing to our teams, to our people, um, the sense of pride, the sense of accountability and wanting to do stuff well, I, you know, you can't put a price on that. Yeah. And this is something that has... It's emerging, um, but I can I can see the difference in the vibe and the culture in the place that this is bringing. So for me, it's hugely um, it's hugely exciting. Super. We'll have to catch up down the line and and, and see what further impacts there. Are. For sure. 
Before we go, uh, I'd like to thank Dave Williams and Goal for arranging our interviews with Nebras, uh, Vincent and yourselves, and obviously to Nebras and Vincent especially. Uh, we wish them all the best. If you'd like to donate to Goal or find out more about them, you can go to www.goalglobal.ie and click the donate button. Siobhan, Janet, thanks so much. I think it's not too early to say have a happy Christmas. Oh, and same to you, and thank you very, very much, and thanks to the IMAX.